Well, it's good to be back with you. I have um, had the blessing twice before of being with you as a church. Um, I guess some of you old-timers might remember the previous visits. Uh, Last time I was here, Larry and I did kind of an open study, a question and answer kind of thing. Uh, Obviously, Larry's not here today and and asked me to come and fill in for him, so I'm, I'm... Privileged to do that. What I want to share with you this morning is, or this afternoon, how do, you, do you guys like the four o'clock time slot? Is that working out as a church? It's hard for me to remember not to say this morning. Um, what I want to share with you is a, a, it's a, it's a perspective that the Lord recently refreshed my heart in. I'm going to be in the book of Jeremiah. If you want to turn and follow along with me. You're welcome to do so. I'll be in chapter one. I have been um, walking with the Lord for just over 40 years now and have read the book of Jeremiah several times, many times. And uh, this particular portion that I'm going to be focusing our attention on this afternoon is a portion that has caught my heart's attention before. But I was recently rereading through Jeremiah. In fact, I'm still reading through Jeremiah. I don't read a lot for my daily devotional. I just read a chapter a day and then try to, um, try to meditate on whatever portion of that chapter uh, stands out and particularly speaks to my heart that day. And so this portion that I'm going to share with you did that for, for me. The Lord used this to refresh my heart recently, and I hope that it will have a similar kind of effect and impact on your heart as well. I want to call this the Jeremiah perspective, but I want to, um, I want to explain right up front that even though I'm calling this message the Jeremiah perspective, what I'm going to be talking about is you, not so much Jeremiah. Of course, to get to you, I'll need to I'll need to give a little background of what's going on with Jeremiah and why the Lord first revealed this to Jeremiah rather than you or me. But ultimately, this is a message not just for him, for that man who served the Lord as a prophet of God during that time in history. It's really a message for us. Of course, it was a message for him, and it served the Lord's purpose to to get his heart and mind right for a great assignment that the Lord had appointed for him, but the Lord intended it to speak to far more than just Jeremiah. There are, there are countless believers who have been helped by this passage through all the generations since Jeremiah's time. So let me, let me read, uh, starting in verse 4 of Jeremiah 1. I'm not going to read too many verses, um, I'm just going to read from starting in verse 4 through to verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, and this is now Jeremiah speaking in response to the Lord, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all 
To whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, as this word was revealed to Jeremiah by the Lord, it was intended by the Lord to to establish an entirely new spiritual perspective in his heart about himself and about who he actually was in his relationship with the Lord, who the Lord had intended him to be and what the Lord had designed him to be and what the Lord had called him to accomplish in his service to the Lord. But without this word being revealed to Jeremiah, he never would have gotten it on his own. And we know that because as soon as the Lord speaks to him in verse 4 and 5, his immediate reaction, his immediate response in verse 6 is, no, no, no. I, I, basically saying, Lord, you got it wrong. You made the wrong choice. You know, you usually are pretty good with who you choose and what you appoint for them to do, but you must have made a mistake in um, directing this responsibility my way because I'm only a youth. In other words, he's essentially throwing up an excuse and saying, uh, you've, you, you've made a mistake in this circumstance. But of course, the Lord had not made a mistake as he never does. And it was really Jeremiah that was mistaken. But what's important to understand, and what I really hope you get out of what I'm going to be sharing with you, is that the mistake was a mistake in Jeremiah's heart about himself and about his relationship to the Lord and the Lord's purpose for him. And so this word was meant to interrupt Jeremiah's life by changing his perspective. And once this word was revealed to him, Jeremiah was never the same from that day forward. It doesn't mean that Jeremiah was perfect after this. It doesn't mean that Jeremiah didn't struggle after this. Later in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah struggled greatly. He was, he was subjected to severe persecution and struggled in the midst of that persecution cried out to the Lord at one point, essentially saying, I, I, I just wish I could die. So this perspective that the Lord revealed to him didn't solve all of his future problems. But what I do want you to get is without what the Lord spoke to him in verse 5, Jeremiah would never have been able to fulfill the high calling that the Lord had placed upon his life. Now, If you read this any way similar to how I read it, and I'm sure you do, the immediate and natural reaction is what the Lord says to Jeremiah in this section is such a high and lofty concept and such a high and lofty calling and assignment that, okay, I can see that the Lord throughout history throughout redemptive history, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, selected certain special individuals 
and gave them these great assignments and they became what we now refer to as kind of the heroes of faith. You know, the Noahs and the, the Abrahams and the Moseses and the, and the King Davids and, and on and on. The, the, the great individuals that the Lord accomplished such great things through all of history. And it's easy for us reading something like this and say, but this really isn't for me. But I, I do hope that you'll see in a few moments that this really is for you. First, let me remind you of a, of a New Testament principle from one of the pastoral epistles, as Paul wrote, a young pastor who was struggling with timidity and fears, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I won't turn there, I'll just reference it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul reminded Timothy of the role of the revealed words of God, the scriptures, the Bible, the role of the Bible in, in shaping our perspectives and shaping our lives, preparing us for whatever the Lord has called us to do, not just the Jeremiah's and others of uh, redemptive history. And he said that all scripture is profitable and it's useful to teach us, it's useful to train us, it's useful to, to, um, to convict our hearts when our hearts are not seen clearly from God's perspective, and it's useful to, to correct our way of living so that we live differently than we would have without what is revealed in God's Word. So, when Paul says to Timothy, all Scripture is useful to the man of God for those four purposes, the person that's actually walking with the Lord, what he's essentially saying is, all of God's Word applies to us in the same kind of way that it applied in those moments of special history when the Lord was working and moving, like he did here with Jeremiah. So yes, it applied to Jeremiah, but if you're if you're taking to heart what the Apostle Paul said, then you understand this applies to me as well because all Scripture is meant to speak to me in a similar kind of way. Now the second thing I want to, and I do want to turn to this one if you join me, uh, we'll come back to the Jeremiah passage. But if you would, if you're following along in your Bibles, turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. And we're going to read just a, a, a small portion, just a, a verse that was part of a discussion, a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And the circumstance, the setting was, this is after John the Baptist had been arrested by King Herod. And in this circumstance, the disciples we're struggling with what's happened to John. And Jesus addresses their heart's perspective about John, but then he immediately shifts gears unexpectedly and begins to speak to them about themselves and about God's great purpose for them, not just God's great purpose for John the Baptist. So I want to read from Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says this, Truly I say to you, And that should be a familiar phrase to all of you. It's one of the most often repeated phrases through 
the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's the phrase that Jesus commonly used to, to kind of signal his disciples and to signal us as we're reading that even though everything Jesus says is super important, there are some things that he said that rise in significance even above the other things that he said. And this is one of those things. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, now how many, how many in human history have been born of women? How many human beings? Every single human being is included in this category. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that means out of all the human race that's ever lived, up until this moment that he was speaking these words, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now that, that passage, that description has always arrested me when I read it. When you think of all the greats that preceded John. I mentioned a few a moment ago. You know, Noah, Moses, Abraham, King David, all of the prophets like Jeremiah. And out of all of them, no one had ever arisen that was greater than John the Baptist. And basically what, what that means is John is actually greater than them in some sense, in some way. So in what way is John the Baptist greater than everyone that's ever been born as a human being into this world up until that moment of history? What makes John greater than all is that he was given a special assignment greater than all other assignments. As great as the assignment of Noah was, saving the entire human race from a flood by saving eight souls. Or as great as Moses' assignment was, to reveal the law of God to a lawless, sinful world. As great as Abraham's assignment was, to, be the, to be the, become the father of faith, to be the model of what it means to walk in faith with God in this world and all of the other assignments of the great Old Testament heroes, John's assignment was greater than all of them because John was given the special privilege, the unique privilege, of introducing the Messiah to the world. But it's what Jesus says next. You know, the first part arrests me in verse 11, but what he says next, is, it's heart-startling if you just stop and let it sink in for a moment. Yet, he says, so now he's going to, Make a a comparison and a contrast between John and others. John is the greatest human being that's ever lived up until that moment in history. He says, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you a member? Are you in do you belong to and this is not just people that are in heaven this is people that are living in this world in right relationship with heaven and you all understand there's only one way to have that right relationship with heaven and that's to have a right relationship with the son of the one who rules in heaven and he says yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he are you in the kingdom of heaven this morning If you are born of God's Spirit, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, if you are counted among His sheep, 
you are one of God's true children, then you are one of those who are in the kingdom of heaven. And you might even be the least among those. But what he says is, even the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. How could that be possible? Because you have an assignment in some sense that's even greater than John's assignment. Greatness is measured not so much by just how internally holy you are. Greatness in the kingdom is measured by the greatness of the assignment given and the greatness of the faithfulness applied to that assignment. And our assignment is even greater than John's. Because John was only able to introduce the Messiah into the world, we have clearer understanding of who the Messiah is and we are called to represent him to the world every single day of our lives. That is, in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of what the Lord Jesus is describing, an even greater assignment than John's. So the reason I wanted to share that is I want to now carry that perspective and understanding back to reading what the Lord said to Jeremiah. So that you can get, yes, Jeremiah had a great and awesome assignment as a prophet to the nations, but you have, in a sense, an even greater assignment than Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah's assignment was dwarfed by John's, and John's assignment is dwarfed by ours. So if we can, let's head back to Jeremiah chapter 1 now and try to import that perspective to our reading of what the Lord said to Jeremiah. And I won't read the whole section again. I just want to focus on verses 4 and 5 now. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, I said at the beginning in the introduction that what the Lord is doing in this personal word that he revealed to Jeremiah was he was forming a perspective in Jeremiah's heart that would change his life for the rest of his life and would actually equip him to faithfully fulfill the great assignment that the Lord had planned for him. And what the Lord said to him were were things about the Lord's relationship with Jeremiah. And that's the most important thing you can take away from what I'm going to be sharing in just a moment here, and that is that whatever is accomplished in your life on behalf of the Lord, in your service to the Lord, in your service to the King of Heaven, is going to be accomplished as a function of a right and healthy relationship that you have with the Lord. And so this is how the Lord starts to prepare Jeremiah for his assignment. He starts by, by shaping a new perspective in him about God's relationship with him from a personal perspective. And I want you to understand, as we develop this, how deeply the Lord takes this revelation 
of his relationship with Jeremiah as preparation for his purpose for Jeremiah's life. Now the focus of what the Lord says to him about his relationship with Jeremiah is he focuses his attention on four things. And I'm going to use these four key words directly from the text. The four key things is, Jeremiah, you are known. Jeremiah, you are formed. Jeremiah, you are consecrated. And Jeremiah, you are appointed. You are known, formed, consecrated, and appointed. And all four of these things are nothing that Jeremiah did for himself. Everything is focused on what the Lord has done for Jeremiah and in Jeremiah and ultimately what he will do through Jeremiah. So all of the attention is on the Lord in his side of the relationship commitment to Jeremiah, not on Jeremiah's response to the Lord in that relationship. Now, a right reception of these four things that the Lord revealed to him will be required of Jeremiah in order to to actually be faithful and fruitful in living out what these four words, these four key words imply for him. But the emphasis is on what the Lord did, what the Lord chose, what the Lord has done in Jeremiah, not on what Jeremiah is trying to do to make his relationship with the Lord better. And these four things apply in the same way to you and to me if we truly belong to the Lord in a saving covenant relationship that, that would be the same and in, in a, a very important sense, even a greater way than with Jeremiah. All right, so let me, let me just take a few minutes and develop these four key words. And um, I think each one is meant to, like four building blocks, to when they're combined with the right perspective, right understanding, right comprehension, to then reshape Jeremiah's life perspective. The first thing the Lord says to him is, he talks to him about being formed, but I want you to notice there's a, there's a sequencing here. There's a chronology. There's one thing that happens before another thing. So he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So between those two things, being formed and being known, which came first? I'm asking. To be known. So there came a moment when Jeremiah was actually in his mother's womb. Just like there was a moment in your personal history and in mine when we were in our mother's womb. And as we were, we were being formed in the womb. And the Lord has a role in that that I want to focus our attention on in just a moment. But before any of that, meaning even before the moment of his mother's conception, the Lord describes that he had a relationship with Jeremiah. Now, this is mysterious for us, but it's important for us to grasp. What's mysterious is, how many of you remember being two years old? Anybody? I don't. I don't remember anything about being two years old, but we have at least one person that remembers something about being two years old. How many of you remember being literally in your mother's womb? 
Anybody? Anybody have a memory from when you were in your mother's womb? I don't. In my first memory, I must have been four or five years old. So, you know, all of that's faded for me. But there was a moment you were in your mother's womb. Now, if you don't remember anything about when you were in your mother's womb, do you remember anything about before you were in your mother's womb? And of course, none of us do, because why? We didn't exist. And there is a, there is a, a false teaching out there in some segments of the wider Christian community that believes in the pre-existence of the human soul before conception in the womb. Um, it is not true. It's not biblical. It's not doctrinal. It didn't happen. You did not exist before the moment of your conception. But what's interesting, and this is the mysterious part is, the Lord says he had a relationship with Jeremiah before he was conceived in his mother's womb, which implies the Lord had a relationship with Jeremiah before Jeremiah even existed. Now, how can that be? How can you have a relationship with someone that doesn't exist? You and I can't. We're unable to. But the Lord can, and here he declares that he did. And he uses an interesting term. I'm going to give you, for each of these four terms, the Hebrew term that that was actually used as the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. You don't need to remember the Hebrew, but it's interesting to me, so I'll share it with you. Uh, The word that the Lord uses here in verse verse 5 when he says, I knew you. So he uses the Hebrew word yada. And it's the word that first occurs in the Bible all the way back in the book of Genesis when it says after God created Adam, and then out of the rib that he took from his side, he created Eve, and then he brought them together, and the two became one flesh. The next description early in the book of Genesis is, Adam knew his wife. Now what that means is, and it's just a, it's just a polite way of saying, he intimately knew his wife in what we describe as a marriage consummation. He yadad his wife. It describes, it's a knowledge, it's a personal knowledge, but it's the most intimate level of personal knowledge that one person can have with another person. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, which must have shocked his current perspective into a deeper and more eternal perspective, the Lord says to him, I had a yada kind of intimate, personal relationship with you before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, before you even existed. How can that be? Because, you know, we have a saying um, in our culture, it's not so much used anymore, but, you know, I'm older and it used to be common in our culture. Um, we, We talk about a person... Um, before they were even a, a glimmer in their father's eye. And what that, what that means is, before the father even had the intention of, of forming a marriage relationship with, with his bride-to-be, and, and the production that would result would be a child being born into the world, before any of that happens, the father had a, an intention for forming a family. And the idea here is the emphasis is on God the Father's heart for Jeremiah 
before Jeremiah even had his first experience that he would not even remember, an experience of being conceived in his mother's womb, before even that, the Lord says, I knew you in a personal and intimate way. Now we're into, at this point, we're into deep waters theologically. It's, it's the concept of what later in the book of Ephesians, Paul develops and, and describes as, as the, the principle or the doctrine of predestination. And I don't, I, you know, I don't know uh, with great detail you know, what, what you have been taught in this particular area, so I'm not going to get into too much of the weeds of, of describing predestination to you, other than to say this. Let's, let's connect, and we'll come right back to Jeremiah, let's connect this to a brief statement that the Apostle Paul makes in Ephesians chapter 1. Because these two things are purposefully connected. Ephesians chapter 1. I'll read from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Paul says, before the foundation of the world. So how many of you remember being at the foundation of the world? Again, we're in, we're in territory that none of us existed. We didn't have any personal experience of the foundation of the world. Before even the foundation of the world. The foundation of the world goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. When, when God spoke the first creative word, light, to cause creation to begin to spring into existence. Before that moment, God chose us in Him. And then he goes on to describe that that choice was a choice He made in love. Meaning, He was already relating to us before we even existed. And the basis of that relationship is a deep and eternal love. If you get that, if you understand that, it should change your life perspective about yourself. Not just for today, but for the rest of your life. You were loved before you even existed. And you were more than a glimmer in the Father's eye. You were in His deep, in His heart. And your existence is a product of His loving purpose for you. Now let's head back to Jeremiah. I would love to camp and develop each one of these a little in a little bit more detail, but uh, I would run us way out of time. So let me just move on to the second one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So following the knowing of God before conception, now conception occurs. There's a sequencing going on. There's a chronology in our personal story. Now he fast forward from being known before the foundation of the world to the moment that you were conceived and you're now in your mother's womb. And in that experience of being in your mother's womb, is it just all coming together just through pure physical and natural biology? And whatever happens, happens, and it's just sad that it happened to happen in the way that it did for you and I. No. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, but when 
you were known, you were then conceived, and once you were conceived, you were in the womb developing, but you were developing based upon this one guiding, controlling, in the best of senses, controlling principle. And that is, you were being formed in the womb. And there was one who was forming you. It wasn't just biology turned loose to operate on its own. There was a hand upon you in the womb that was forming you. The word that the Lord chose to reveal this to Jeremiah is the Hebrew word yatsar. It's the same exact word that was used first in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I won't take us to read it, but it's when God first formed Adam in the garden by forming him of the clay, the earth, the dirt of the ground. He formed him into a a human male and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But the word formed is the same, yatsar, it's the same word that's used throughout the rest of the Old Testament scriptures and specifically later in the book of Jeremiah to describe the work of a potter. How many of you have ever done any pottery work? Anybody here? All right, it's the work of a potter. And as a potter, what do you do? You take raw material, clay, you mix it with water, and then you begin to work with that clay. You shape it and you form it. And how does it end up? If you're a potter, how does the product of your work end up? It, works, it ends up, if you're skilled, I mean, you could take a beginning pottery class and you don't know what's going to happen as you apply your hands to the clay the first time you ever do it. But if you're skilled, if you have practice, if, you, if you've mastered the techniques of pottery, how is it going to end up? It's going to end up being exactly the way you want it. Master potters don't make too many mistakes. Now the question is, how skilled is the Lord as a potter? How much practice has he had? How much wisdom does he apply? How much skill does, does, he, does he apply to the task of forming someone in the womb? The, when I first learned this, it reshaped my perspective about who I am as a natural man in this world. I grew up, just like many of you, with all kinds of personal insecurities about myself. When I first learned this principle, it changed those insecurities for the rest of my life. And I am no longer, no longer held by those insecurities. It freed me to understand the Lord made me a certain way for His purposes. Now what's interesting is this does have physical application. It does speak to how the Lord physically made you, meaning you look a specific and particular way, and no one else in the world looks exactly like you. Even twins have some differences between them. You understand, have you ever heard this before? This is a true principle of natural science. Not that any science is ultimately natural. But um, have you ever heard the idea that there are no two snowflakes that are identical? Have you ever heard this? Like if, have you ever seen a snowflake under a, I wish I had brought some kind of overhead to show you a few different snowflakes. Um, There are no two snowflakes that have the exact same structure. 
Now, that, and that's literally true and scientifically provable. And I want you to think about just right now, forget about history for a moment, just right now, how many snowflakes exist on the face of the earth today? Forget all the scare stuff about global warming. There's still plenty of snow on the world. How many snowflakes exist on the face of the earth today? Just take a wild guess. Trillions of snowflakes. Trillions upon trillions. That's a lot more than the number of human beings that are on the face of the earth. And the idea is no two snowflakes are identical. Each one is unique. Each one serves its own special purpose to display the glory of God in its structure. And you have been formed by the Lord for his purposes. Yes, your physical appearance is part of that, but I'll go beyond that. The forming implies not just that the Lord was active in making you look the way you actually look, and it's serving his purpose in some way that you may not fully understand yet, but beyond that, even your personality, even the way you are, even your likes and dislikes, even your what we call natural abilities, the things, every single one of us can do some things better than other people around us and some things much worse than other people around us. But it's because we've been made in a particular way, formed for particular purposes. I've shared this story with my congregation more than once. Um, from an early age, the Lord made me a reader Way before I came to know the Lord. I was born again when I was 24 years old. But my whole young life, I was a voracious reader. I, my mom used to take me to the library every week, and um, we had an agreement that I could check out as many books as I wanted as long as I read every book that I checked out. And it became kind of a, a game to see how many books I could accomplish reading in a week. And I used to check out a stack of books like this. And you would say, oh, you know, what? that's an interesting story, but what's the point? The point is, what I do now for a living, and more than for a living, what I do to serve the high king of heaven is I read, and then I comprehend what I read, and then I share the comprehension that the Lord has granted to me by his grace for the benefit of his people. But the Lord made me that way. Not everyone has a heart to read like that. Not everyone has an appetite to read like that. Not everyone has the ability to read like that. So the Lord made me a certain way. He formed me. Now, I'm, I'm not making this about a, 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 you know, a, a rallying cry to make you all readers like I'm a reader. The point is, the Lord has made you a specific way. You are able to do certain things that I could never do. You're able to accomplish in the service of the Lord certain things that I could never accomplish. But it's because he made you the unique way that you are. And you were formed in the womb for that purpose. Now let's go on to the next one. We're still in verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, meaning we're still in the womb now, before you were born, I consecrated you. Now this is a, you know, this is a, a Christian, you know, a spiritual word, a Christian word, a familiar word. 
But I don't want us to miss the importance of it. The Hebrew word here is the Hebrew word kadash, and it's often used to describe the holiness of God and the purposed holiness of God's people. But it, what it literally means is this. It's, it's describing something that's dedicated to the Lord for his exclusive purpose. It's something that's set apart from normal use. We don't, we don't use a, a, a consecrated thing for common purposes. We only use it for special, spiritual, holy purpose. What the Lord wanted Jeremiah to understand is, you're going to be different than everybody else in the world around you because I have set you apart from everybody else in the world around you. It doesn't mean Jeremiah was better than everyone. It does mean that he had a higher purpose, a higher calling, a special reason to exist. Now, here is the truth about the human race. And it's one of the saddest things if you really just think about this for a while and let it soak in. Most people in this world are born, they live their life, and they die, and their life amounts to nothing at the end. And in some cases, less than nothing. There's no great purpose connected to their life. No reason to remember them. No reason to appreciate them. They just filled space on the surface of the planet and used resources, and then they died. And that's the end. And now they have to face eternity with a useless, wasted life. What the Lord wanted Jeremiah to understand is your life is not going to be like that. You were consecrated before you were even born. While you were still in your mother's womb, I, this is not what Jeremiah did for himself. This is what the Lord did with Jeremiah. The Lord set him apart for special and holy purpose, which implies that the Lord would do whatever was necessary to get him to fulfill and accomplish that purpose. And at times, the Lord will go to extreme measures in order to see his purpose fulfilled. How many of you are familiar with the uh, story of Jonah? Jonah was consecrated for a special purpose. Jonah didn't get it at the beginning. He didn't like it at the beginning. And he did everything he could to run from it as far and as fast as he could. But did Jonah fulfill the great purpose, the consecrated purpose of the Lord or not? He did. There's a whole story between him running and him fulfilling the purpose. And the Lord had to go to extreme measures to change his direction and to get him on board with his consecrated calling. But the Lord did get his way fulfilled in Jeremiah's, uh, excuse me, in uh, Jonah's life. So let me share with you this New Testament passage, which speaks to the same exact concept using a different term, but it means the same thing. 1 Corinthians. And this is your story. It was written to the Corinthians, but just like Jeremiah's perspective is meant to be your life's perspective, 
What the Lord now says here through Paul to the Corinthians, he speaks to you and to this church as he did to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. I, or Paul, excuse me, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified has the same meaning as consecrated. It means to be set apart for a holy purpose. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You, if you belong to the Lord, are called to be saints. Now the way the Catholic Church uses the term, it has this meaning of some super spiritual individual that's worked miracles and done you know, amazing things. That's not the biblical use of the term. The biblical use of the term simply means Someone that's been set apart for holy purpose. They don't belong to the world in the same way that everybody else in the world belongs to the world. They belong to the Lord and they they belong to Him in an exclusive way. Meaning their only reason for existing is what the Lord has purposed for them. And what the Lord will certainly get accomplished through them. The, um, The world is blind to this. And sadly, even many within the community of faith are blind to this, have never really seen it, never really understood it, but it's really important for you to understand it. You're a consecrated person. You weren't consecrated at the moment you were born again. You were consecrated as Jeremiah was before you even left your mother's womb. But then, of course, there was a waiting period, and the waiting period was between the day of your first birth in this world and the day of your second birth. Because it's only at the event of your second birth, the new birth, that you could actually now begin to truly comprehend and truly walk in what it means to be set apart for a holy purpose. To live your life exclusively for the Lord and for why He created you to live in this world in your moment of history. All right, that brings us to the fourth and the last of our key terms, what the Lord reveals to Jeremiah. So I'm going to go back to Jeremiah one last time. We'll end with this this afternoon. Jeremiah chapter 1 again, rereading verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. Now the implication here is, when was Jeremiah appointed? When? What was the chronology? What was the moment where he was appointed? Not when the Lord was speaking these words to him. It's already happened when the Lord now speaks these words to him. When was he appointed to be a prophet to the nations? When he was still in his mother's womb. All of this took place either before the womb or in the womb. When I first got this, again, I'll say, it radically transformed my perspective of who I was. I had no clue I'd be doing what I'm doing right now with you when I was a young boy, when I was a young man. I had no idea that I would be doing this, that I would be walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, let alone 
leading God's people, proclaiming God's word, explaining God's word. I had no clue. But the Lord did, and the Lord appointed this assignment for me when I was still in my mother's womb. It just took 24 years for me to begin to get it when I was born again. And then another few years after that, as I was growing in the Lord and reading passages such as this one, for it to begin to truly dawn on my heart in the Lord's perfect timing. Now this one, this word appointed, the Hebrew word interestingly is also the name of one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word Nathan. And what it means is someone who is appointed to a special responsibility or assigned to a special task. Meaning that this responsibility or task really defines their purpose in life. Jeremiah's assignment was a prophet to the nations. That's not my assignment, and that's not your assignment. He had a different specific assignment than ours. But what I do want you to get is that you have a special assignment of your own. Just like there are no two snowflakes identical, there are no two assignments from the Lord that are identical. But this passage, again from Ephesians, and this is where I will conclude my sharing with you this afternoon. In Ephesians 2, Paul takes this theme and explains it with even greater clarity in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Uh, The verses leading up to Ephesians 2.10 are one of those sections in the book of Ephesians that I love in which in nine short verses of Ephesians 1, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, Paul overviews the entire story of the gospel from before we were saved to the moment we were actually saved and how it was all accomplished. But then in verse 10, he shifts, now that we're saved, this is what it's all ultimately for. This is the goal of why the Lord saved us. In the sense of not just, I've saved this person at this moment in history and now because they're saved, I'm going to just immediately yank them out of the world. There's a reason why he saves us and then leaves us in the world because he has a special purpose for us. And this describes that. Paul writes in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship. It describes a craftsman at work. You could describe it using the the Jeremiah potter imagery. We are his workmanship with the Lord as the potter and us as the, the special project that he's working on. Literally, the word workmanship could be translated without mangling the Greek language at all as our word masterpiece. When you describe an artist's masterpiece, like I was looking at the artwork here in the room, and some of the, I'll just be honest with you, some of these paintings I like more than others, but I really like this one over here. This, uh, the, the stone rolled away from the tomb and the empty tomb. It's just a beautiful work of art. And I don't know who painted this, but I'm just going to guess and say it was that person's masterpiece. You know, they, like, think of how many hours that were invested in learning art before they were able to paint that. I couldn't paint that. 
You could give me a lot of hours to, to try, and I would not get to that. It's just a beautiful work of art. But here, what Paul says about the Lord's relationship to us in terms of his purpose for us is he says, for we are his masterpiece. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that we are, we are now the product of his skilled craftsmanship making us a very, very specific way, but for a purpose. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for good works. And if you're not doing those good works, you are not, you are not living out your reason for existing. Created for good works which God prepared beforehand. What does that mean? When did God prepare the good works that I'm doing good works right now by sharing the word of God with you in the way that I am? When did God prepare this? Wasn't the last three days, the last week. It wasn't when I was doing my, my studies or my, you know, forming my outline for what I would share with you. God prepared all of this when he had me in his heart and mind and knew me before I was even conceived in my mother's womb. And then he formed me in a specific way so that when this day came, I would be able to share the word of God with you in the way that I am. And in the same way, he has that kind of purpose for you. There are works that only you can accomplish. Good ones that no one else will fulfill in the same way you can fulfill. And God prepared them before you were even born, before you were even conceived, before the foundation of the world, he had specific projects in mind and heart for you to fulfill. That we, as he ends the verse, should walk in them. Meaning, once you understand it, once you grasp, this is why I'm here, this is why I exist, this is why I've been saved, then you commit to it and you walk in it. You make it the focal point of your life in this world. Yes, we all have other responsibilities we have to fulfill just to be healthy in this world and just to, you know, be responsible and to to earn our way and to have families and all of those things. But there is above and beyond all of that a special and deep and eternal purpose for why the Lord made you exactly the way he made you. You are someone who has been known from before the foundation of the world, who was specially and uniquely formed in the womb. And as he did, he set you apart, consecrated you for a holy purpose, and then appointed you to fulfill an assignment that no one else can fulfill in exactly that same way. Don't get me wrong. If you don't fulfill your assignment, the Lord will find someone else to fulfill it. But the idea being that he's appointed things and made you in a special and specific way to get that job done, and all of it ultimately, of course, for his glory. God bless you all this afternoon.